0: Victorian Country
1: Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. G'day, Angus Furley here. Coming up on the Country Hour, you'll hear from a beekeeper struggling to make ends meet because of that ongoing closure of the Victoria-New South Wales border over the varroa mite outbreak. Then there's a call out from Blaze Aid for more volunteers as the organisation battles to keep up with that recovery effort after last year's flooding. And Agriculture Minister Murray Watt is off to Berlin this week to promote Australian produce as the government seeks a free trade deal with the EU. And what should he be saying and what should Australia look to secure in a free trade deal? You can text in 0467 842 722. First up today though, why is it that you can buy fresh potatoes from your supermarket, hot chips from fast food chains and even potato cakes from your local fish and chip shop or roadhouse but those same shops have a major hot chip shortage? Catherine Myers is a farmer at Tarallo, north of Ballarat and vice president of the Victorian Farmers Federation horticulture group. She says there are a lot of factors at play.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a perfect storm as so many parts of the economy are experiencing at the moment. We've had uh, flooding and extended wet and cold weather in a lot of our potato growing regions around Australia that go into that processing market in particular. So South Australia, the Victorian and New South Wales Riverina and the central highlands of Victoria plus Tasmania have had really uh, had a very long wet cold winter, so we saw delays in getting the early crops harvested up in the northern South Australia and the Riverina of Victoria, but we also saw really significant delays in getting the, the later crops in, in that Central Highlands and Tassie region, plus coming on back of the severe hailstorm that we had in the Central Highlands last year, that um, that certainly reduced our yields as well.
1: And processing potatoes, those that are used to make chips, they can't be substituted with other potatoes?
2: They really can't. The, the factories have their own licensed varieties and they will have paid enormous amounts of money over decades to get particular characteristics built into those potatoes. So when you, when you cook a chip, it's, it's relying solely on the potato to to get that even brown colour, the crisp on the outside the soft, even cooking all the way through, whereas other processed potato products such as mash or potato cakes rely on other characteristics. So you can take a humble table potato, and we do it, I do it at home all the time, cut up into thin slices, give it a light batter and fry it, and you have a perfect potato cake, whereas it really depends on very specific criteria to get a good chipping potato.
1: So that's why at, at your local fish and chip shop it seems there's no shortage of potato cakes but there could possibly be a, a chip shortage.
2: Absolutely right. Yeah, yep. there's substitutable varieties for, for potato cakes and other products.
1: How significant is that, that Ballarat or that central Highlands production region for the potato processing sector?
2: It's really big, particularly for McCain's here in the, um, in the Ballarat region. I think people have referred to about 50% of Victoria's processing potatoes come out of this region, um, so it's, it's, it's a really big deal when, when our yields aren't up and two years in a row with reduced yields are, are certainly going to hit the market.
1: And reduced yields, have you got a sense for your district of just how much this season's production may be down?
2: We won't know until harvest, but there's going to be two factors at play. One is reduced plantings. So a lot of growers have reduced their plantings by up to 50% because they got the potatoes in so late. They know the yields will be down and it's such a high cost of production crop. Some people have decided it's just not worth taking the gamble of putting a crop in the ground. And then those that have planted, it's really going to depend on what sort of season we see a lot of plantings went in after the longest day of the year, which means every day we're getting less and less sunlight, so less and less growth on those potatoes. Um, and it's just going to depend whether we get consistent, warm, funny weather or whether we start to see it clouding over and getting grey and that's where we'll really see cutbacks in the yield.
1: And as you said, two consecutive poor seasons. And I guess that says that the current chip shortages are related to Uh, the the poor weather that affected last season's crops. So so does that mean that we've got many, many months or or even another year of of chip shortages ahead?
2: Unfortunately, we we probably do. We tend to import about 30% of our processed potato product here in Australia and most of that comes out of Europe. They had a very severe drought um, and a very hot summer last year, so they didn't have any surplus to fill our demand either. Obviously, their crop won't be going in for a number of months yet, So it's certainly the first half of this year we're going to see quite tight potato supply.
1: Catherine, another question people are asking is, why can I go to my local uh, fast food chain and seem to be able to get chips and yet the local fish and chip shop or the local pub doesn't seem to be able to secure a supply? What's happening there?
2: So obviously as farmers we have no control over what happens to our product once it leaves our farm gate but the, the factories will have a priority of supply based on how tight the contracts are and where their best gross margins are. So fast food chains um, have really good lawyers and will have really good contracts set up with the factories and so they will find those contracts very hard to break um, even in a severe shortage Where and then you step down to... Um, I suppose, the fish and chip shops and the the consumer who don't have the strength of contract with those suppliers. Um, So I imagine that's where it's coming from.
1: What's the future? Because I know there have been really drawn out uh, negotiations or arguments between growers and McCain's uh, over the price that growers are paid. If if it's difficult growing potatoes and the reward for effort isn't there, are we going to see more growers just switching out those paddocks for alternative land uses?
2: We're certainly starting to see that here in the Central Highlands, yes. We know our climate's becoming increasingly variable and we know that potatoes are one of those crops where when things don't go right, we do see significant yield reductions. And given the cost of production, you really can't afford to lose many crops before you're hanging in the wind, I suppose. So I think we definitely need to see a change in the risk return ratio for potatoes. I know factories in Tassie have been offering significant incentives to get growers to put crop in the ground in a season like this, where it's variable. Um so hopefully we'll see, see the other factories come on board as well and start taking a more of a risk sharing uh, relationship with the growers.
1: What are growers in the Central Highlands getting paid?
2: I haven't seen the New Year's contract, but last year um, if you went to the supermarket and you bought a, a bag of frozen potato chips, um, six or seven hundred grams, that would have taken a kilo of potatoes to produce, you might like pay four dollars fifty, five dollars and thirty three cents went back to the grower. So it's really not a significant portion of what the consumer's paying.
1: That was Catherine Myers, a farmer at Tarallo, north of Ballarat, and vice president of the Victorian Farmers Federation Horticulture Group. And tough there with those farmers not getting the price that, that they need, and also those, well, the fish and chip shops and the pubs, the restaurants that, as Catherine said, seem like they're at, at the end of the queue behind uh, some of those fast food chains without having their, their group buying power. Old Tom on the text line says, Plenty of spuds going in around Croy, 20 tonnes to the acre. Pretty common this year. Good to hear. Thanks, Tom. That text line, 0467 842 722.
0: The Victorian Country Hour on
1: ABC Radio Victoria. To the honey industry now, because Victorian beekeepers are continuing the fight to bring their hives back from New South Wales. It's been more than six months since varroa mite was first detected in New South Wales, but the vast majority of the state is now in a blue general biosecurity zone. It's making beekeeping untenable for people like Malden's Lindsay Calloway, who has more than 3,000 hives and employs 12 people. He's speaking here with Kelly Hollingworth.
3: We've had to step away from... Uh, most of our canola seed contracts and we couldn't get these from New South Wales to, to our almond contracts. So it's cost us directly, uh, about a quarter of a million dollars in contracts.
4: In the last few weeks, we've spoken to another Central Victorian beekeeper who says the floral resources in New South Wales are starting to peter out a bit and many beekeepers want to bring hives back into Victoria so they can be healthy heading into pollination. Is that something that you're wanting to do as well?
3: Absolutely. Beekeeping is a -a 12-month-a-year thing. You can't just click your fingers and produce hives good enough for almonds. In June, you've got to do it um, throughout the whole year. It's all about momentum and pollen source and nectar source so it's all about keeping the bees up and healthy so we need we need to be able to keep the bees on honey flows and pollen flows.
4: And in an ideal world if uh, there weren't restrictions on borders where would you have your hives at the moment or be looking to move them to in the near future?
3: Ideally I'd be bringing hives back end of this month from New South Wales and I probably would have taken more bees to New South Wales for red gum options are king in beekeeping, so to have the border closure, is, it sort of uh, puts a wedge right through all your options and makes beekeeping quite untenable.
4: What sort of lobbying have you been doing to try and get the Victorian border opened?
3: I've written to the Agriculture Minister. I've, I've put in an application with the biosecurity team at Agriculture Victoria in December to move hives back, so um, wild molden operate under a world-class standard of compliance. We're with BRCGS and currently have a A plus rating. So we're certainly putting our case forward that we'd like to work with agriculture Victoria to move, move our hives home.
4: What kind of feedback have you had from the Victorian government to these requests so far?
3: Mostly that they're working on it and that they're looking for the New South Wales blue zone, which is the area outside of the infected premises of New South Wales, um, they're looking for that uh, proof of freedom certificate. So my understanding is that once they're happy with that and that's ticked off, that they will allow us to
5: start to cross the
4: border. So there has been 107 infested premises in New South Wales. The most recent case was at Vasey in the Hunter. The Blue Zone Varroa Freedom Paper that you're talking about has been sent to the Consultative Committee for Emergency Plant Pest and they will be meeting this week to look at the feedback that's been received from that. So are you hopeful that there could be changes coming soon?
3: Yeah, hopeful, but until they come, you know, all we can do is hope. So, you know until until they allow us to move back, we're stuck in New South Wales. So that's the reality for us.
4: Are many other Victorian beekeepers in the same position and what's at stake if you can't get bees
3: back? It's really important that the community understand that one third of what we eat starts with a beehive. So bee, beekeeping, managed beekeeping in Australia pollinates billions of dollars worth of agriculture. So beekeeping is very much at the heart and soul of of agriculture, so you know, if we want agriculture to be viable and grow and and um, be sustainable, we need beekeeping to be um, able to do their thing, which which is pollinate billions of dollars worth of food.
1: That was Maldon beekeeper Lindsay Callaway speaking with Kelly Hollingworth, and in the statement, an Agriculture Victoria spokesperson said. Victoria remains free of Varroa mite and we will continue to do everything we can to keep it that way. Strict measures have been introduced to protect Victorian agriculture and beekeeping industries from the potentially devastating impacts of Varroa. Movement controls to protect Victoria will remain in place for as long as necessary to protect against the threat of Varroa mite entry into Victoria.
6: The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: The Federal Agriculture Minister is travelling to Berlin this week promoting Australian produce. Murray Watt says he'll be pushing the green credentials of Australian farming as the government seeks to secure a
7: free trade deal with the European Union. Uh, When it comes to the trade agreement, we're obviously pushing for the best possible market access for Australian producers. And we've made very clear to the EU that we're not going to settle for any deal. There has to be meaningful gains to Australian producers in terms of the quotas and the quantity that we can export. Uh, But we'll also be pushing back on the geographical indicators point that's been raised by the EU our position is that when we're talking about Prosecco or some of the other products that this is under discussion, um, these are not um, geographic issues. These are uh, issues of the types of grapes or the types of cheese and those sorts of things. And we don't think that Australian producers should be restricted in their use of that.
8: So from your perspective, what is up for negotiation? What names might be tradable?
7: Um, Well, our position at the moment is that there there is no uh, need for Australia to be dropping those names. Um, They are things like Prosecco... Uh, things like prosecco parmesan feta cheese these are well-established names of products right across the uh, world and just as other countries can continue to use those names we think that australian producers should be able to as well Um, we're obviously prepared to give ground on a range of things for the eu it's a it's a two-way street and there are products that they're keen to get into australia that um uh, there are certain barriers for at the moment um but We have a strong position when it comes to geographic indicators, and and we want to get behind Australian producers to preserve our position.
8: Are you prepared to negotiate on animal welfare or chemical use when it comes to negotiating a free trade agreement with the EU?
7: One of the things that we know the EU are keen to do is to ensure that there are some strong environmental uh, and sustainability measures as part of the agreement, and uh, depending on the specifics of those, we're up for that conversation. Uh, As I say, the other purpose of this visit to Berlin is to demonstrate to the world that Australian agricultural producers are far more sustainable than what is often recognised. Uh, I think unfortunately, particularly because of the former Australian government's position on climate and sustainability issues, our producers sometimes attracted a reputation that wasn't deserved. The Certainly the Australian producers that I meet with and, and visit farms of are fully committed to sustainability and, and I'm confident that we can meet Uh, what the EU is looking for. Um, I mean, I think what's important as well is for the EU to understand that there's no one size fits all approach that works when it comes to sustainability. The EU are taking a certain approach, uh, very heavy on regulation and uh, third reduction and things like that. We don't think those sort of measures are necessary in Australia or many other countries, uh, to achieve sustainability. And we're keen to make sure that the world understands where we're coming from on these issues.
8: Economists in your department at ABARES (coughs) did some research last year which showed that if agricultural subsidies were reduced, uh, emissions could also be reduced from livestock. Would you be talking much about that research
7: this week? Absolutely. Uh, That's also one of the messages I'll be taking to the EU in particular, is that You know, we know that there's a big debate around global food security at the moment around the world for good reason. Um, We've got climate conditions that are impacting on production in some countries. Of course, the war in Ukraine is having a massive impact on food security around the world as well. Um, But one of the things that Australia is pushing for is to make sure that we do keep trade as open as possible. Unfortunately, the tariff increases and other subsidies that we're seeing some countries introduce for their farmers actually are environmentally harmful. Um, They encourage poor environmental practices rather than good ones. So continuing that fight that Australia has made for decades now for tariff reduction and for free trade in agriculture, uh, not only do we think that that is a good way of meeting the world's food supply needs, but it's also really important to make sure that the sustainability of agricultural production gets even better.
8: And just one last one, Murray Watt, as Agriculture Minister, are you getting briefings about the spud shortage in Australia and the lack of chips?
7: Yeah, I have been uh, briefed about this by the department and, um, of course, as a, as a chip lover myself, that's a bit of a concern. There's a few, fair few potato chips consumed in our family, I can assure you. So uh, we haven't been able to see any impact at our local supermarkets, but for people who uh, our users are users of big quantities the fast food chains and other other groups like that that's a big concern so of, of course this is another example where the terrible weather conditions we've had in some parts of australia over the last 12 months are having an impact uh, just as we had those 12 dollar iceberg lettuces as a result of floods last year uh, it seems that the floods in other parts of the country have really contributed to this shortage so the sooner we can get over it the better for all of us so we can enjoy our hot chips
1: That was Australia's Minister for Agriculture, Murray Watt, speaking with Kath Sullivan. And the Minister is also travelling to London. This week, he's calling on his British counterparts to ratify the UK-Australia free trade deal after Australia ratified its part of the agreement late last year. 24 past 12, you're listening to The Country Hour with Angus Furley. And to the dairy industry now, where production continues to fall, worsening a butterfat shortage and increasing a reliance on imported butter and cheese. Meg Powell spoke to industry analyst Steve Spencer about some of the big trends in dairy markets.
0: So, um, milk prices were set um, last June. Um, They're set annually. So, when around that time we had a, a really strong uplift in uh, dairy product prices, commodity prices on the global market, which flowed into this into this country because we are we are quite exposed to the world market. Um, so that situation was caused by really an acute shortage of milk globally, uh, with every major production region declining. Uh, we had still pretty good demand, so that created a big squeeze and as a result, you know, prices lifted. So that flowed into the prices that were set at the start of the season. So what's what's happened since that time, while farm gate prices are very strong and they've, you know, been set at record levels across Australian regions. And pretty much, I guess the average in the manufacturing regions, we're up nearly ten dollars kilo of milk solids as an annual, you know, estimate of milk prices paid at farmgate. In the meantime, however, the uh, the world market has softened naturally. High prices eventually you see some impact either you get more milk being produced in response to that, or you see some pushback on demand at high prices. Both those things have occurred, and uh, so the world market prices have fallen. However. In the Australian market, we haven't seen such a big direct impact of that effect because we've we've become a bit disconnected from some of the major price movements globally because of our domestic milk shortage.
9: And this is where I um, ask you to get out your crystal ball and, and say, what are you expecting is going to happen at the end of this season when we come to setting the prices for next season?
0: Okay. So we've seen milk production in australia down you know we've seen some fairly large declines across the southern regions and that is it's creating or making a product shortage much worse in terms of butter fat so we we don't produce enough butter for our own market nationally anymore we've seen a change in the way because the milk is declining we've seen a change in the way that one of the major retailers is sourcing product rather than buying product it's buying milk and processing that so that's caused you know prices for cheese and butter to stay relatively stable and not follow the world market down so we don't believe there's going to be a very large decline in farmgate prices next season we don't think they'll they'll alter significantly from what we're seeing at the moment based on current indications because of that if you like immunity we've got an immunity card uh, from what's going on globally with cheese and butter and that's that's going to Keep the market reasonably stable at farmgate,
9: which is uh, good news for farmers. Those good prices, but in the meantime, production is down, as you said, and we know that uh, there are less producers out, less farmers out there than there were. What's going on there?
0: So, look, this is this is causing a lot of people to scratch their heads, uh, you know, nationally. Um, uh, I guess that you could put it down to there's a whole lot of factors going on that are causing that. Um, that change uh, or that that decline in output, but pretty much um, if I'd said the major reason is that the, the exits or the attraction of capital values for farms and um, cattle, etc., have also been very high. So that's made it quite attractive to look at exiting the industry. Um, <clears throat> but in, in many cases, producers are facing labor shortages. They're facing rising input costs getting a lot harder to produce milk with the current resources. So a combination of you know, extractive exits and more difficulties in resourcing the farms is is combining and they're probably the major reasons why we're seeing an exodus occur.
9: And is public demand for dairy products still high and how does that compare to the supply?
0: So within Australia demand is still quite good. We've seen it come off a bit at higher prices and the consumers are doing it a bit tougher with the you know, the way the economy is going and households facing higher inflation uh, and cost of finance. So that is starting to take a toll and we are seeing a, a small decline in demand, but it's nothing like the extent of reduction in our domestic milk supply. I mean, we are an imp- we, we rely on imports for about a third of our cheese market, um, more than half of our butter market. So we are... Um, not having a shortage of product as such, but simply the pressure on prices is not is not so strong because of that softening in demand. So, globally demand is weaker. Um, the the big global effect at the moment, which has caused the market to soften, is the fact that China is um, just coming out of some fairly strict COVID restrictions, which has reduced their import demand very significantly. So that's that's caused a uh, a reduction in. Milk powder prices and the prices of butter fats, um, especially in New Zealand.
9: There's a national dairy conference is on next month down in Hobart. What's some of the hot topics that are going to be talked about?
0: One of the topics going to be addressed in that is so with this um, with this decline in milk production, can it be stopped? I mean, will it? You know, is it, is it capable of being turned around? Um, and one of the topics that my co-director Joe Bills and I will be talking about is what does it look like if we go forward to the end of the decade? Um, what's the industry look like when we've you know, had a big decline in milk? Uh, and what is that What is that likely to do to the way in which this industry operates? Um, how milk's going to be valued? Will the world market matter as much anymore? So a lot of very big questions around the industry as we look look out into that future. So that's That's one of the subjects in discussion and and look, it's hopefully very interesting to farmers to get a perspective on what it means for their future.
1: That was dairy analyst Steve Spencer running through some of the latest trends in national dairy markets and no doubt those trends, those issues will be talking points at International Dairy Week which is on this week, started Saturday, running through to this Thursday at Tatura. And the country hours heading over. We'll, I'll be doing a live outside broadcast from Tatura from International Dairy Week on Thursday. So if you're there, come down to the, the main pavilion and say good day to us. And also, you can have a. In the meantime, you can have a look at the ABC Rural Facebook page. There's a post up there from the dress up competition. Some very cute uh, kids and calves dressed up in tandem. So jump on there, have a look. Tune in on Thursday to the Country Hour to hear a broadcast from International Dairy Week. Or, if you're there, come and say good day. On ABC Radio Victoria, this is the Victorian Country Hour. Well, it's just gone 29 minutes to one, so let's get to news headlines now with Courtney Howe.
10: Good afternoon, Angus. Authorities are investigating a three-car collision in Victoria's southwest that's led to the death of a woman. Police say the cars collided on the Midland Highway Meredith just after six o'clock this morning. A female passenger inside one of the three vehicles died at the scene of the crash. She is yet to be formally identified. The driver of another vehicle involved in the collision was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service says claims the decriminalisation of public drunkenness could put the community at risk are inaccurate and misinformed. New Victorian laws taking effect in November will see public intoxication, met with a health response, with people taken home or to a health service for support. The reforms were passed after the death in custody of Yorta Yorta woman Tanya Day in 2017 and while police and paramedic unions say they support decriminalisation, they say they're worried police will lose the power to intervene in dangerous situations. CEO Narita Wade says that won't happen counter-terrorism police are assisting Aubrey officers in their investigation of a break-in at a telecommunications tower where several thousands of dollars worth of equipment was stolen. Officers were called to the Springvale Heights tower early on Saturday morning after eight heavy-duty batteries and an an uninterruptible power supply were stolen. Police are also investigating any links to a similar offence across the border last month. And Water Police are warning tourists in the Wimmera and Mali they'll be unforced for the next few wakes the victoria police water squad is joining parks victoria and the victorian fisheries in patrolling recreational bodies of water across mildura and horsham police will be conducting breath tests license checks and ensuring vessel operators are carrying the correct safety equipment and that's the latest in regional news for this afternoon angus
11: thanks
1: courtney courtney how there with news headlines let's get to the bureau now senior forecaster mark anilak is standing by good afternoon mark
12: Good afternoon, Angus, and there's quite a bit going on today. Um, (laughs) Well, pretty warm, but
1: there's a change coming through at some point.
12: Yeah, it's trying to make its way across. Look, as you say, very warm conditions across the state. As we speak, temperatures are rising into the 30s right across the state. Um, Gippsland just struggling to reach uh, just into the 30s now. But uh, through central and northwestern parts of the state, uh, temperatures are quite a bit warmer, getting up to the high 30s in the the Mallee. But... uh, these northerly winds continue today, so unsettled conditions and temperatures expected to rise another few degrees still uh, this afternoon. There is a change on the way um, in the unstable air mass ahead of this change. We have some. Uh, we're expecting showers and thunderstorms to develop. Uh, Across two areas of the state, uh, the first of which is probably over the sort of the alpine ranges and and northern parts of East Gippsland, we could see some afternoon showers and thunderstorms with uh, sort of heavier, heavier falls there. Um, But also in the far west of the state, just ahead of this approaching trough, we can expect showers and thunderstorms to develop this afternoon. And uh, with those thunderstorms, we could experience some pretty gusty winds as well. so just keep an eye out for any uh, potential severe thunderstorm warnings that may be issued this afternoon. It's, uh, it's a close call, and we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but as you say, as, as we're expecting this change to move across, cooler conditions are forecast uh, from tomorrow onwards. That change is expected to move across the southwest corner of the state uh, probably later this uh, afternoon and evening, moving into central parts during the early hours of, or during tomorrow morning, uh, probably in, sort of reach um, Melbourne around about 9 or 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So central central parts Bendigo around the same time. But it'll take some time to get into the northeast uh, tomorrow. So the northeast corner of the state could experience another unsettled day, hot day with showers and thunderstorms tomorrow before that change finally arrives uh, during the later, later afternoon tomorrow. Following in behind that change, uh, we'll have a couple of days of, of milder conditions, southerly winds, uh, quite deep southerly winds, bringing temperatures back to uh, more normal conditions, I guess, uh, more milder conditions through the state. And because the winds are southerly, we could see some cloudy conditions and maybe some light shower activity uh, south of the ranges uh, through Thursday, Friday, but uh, warming again on on the weekend with the approach of another trough which is likely to bring showers and thunderstorms to the east initially, before spreading westwards across central parts early next week. So, um, we we'll get through today's heat uh, with the showers and thunderstorms moving across uh, in the next 24 hours, before a, a, an area of, or band of cooler conditions for the next few days. Angus.
1: Mm, and then those those
12: the chance of more thunderstorms. Yeah, chance more thunderstorms, uh, probably in the east on Saturday, Sunday, but then extending to sort of north, central and western parts uh, during early next week.
1: And they, so they could linger for a couple of days?
12: They could, yeah. Again, another trough developing um, sort of over New South Wales and sort of heading down into Victoria Um, Monday, Tuesday, so um, again, northerly winds on the eastern side of that trough will continue to bring unsettled conditions um, through the early part of next week. So um, southern parts of the state, uh, the next few days, could be considerably milder, but uh, as we move into the early part of next week, we'll have a return to warmer and unsettled conditions with uh, showers and thunderstorms again.
1: And that rain or those those storms tomorrow... uh, any indication on, on <laughs> rainfall figures? <laughs> well, I was
12: trying to avoid it. But you I did, did hopefully. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, look, hit and miss stuff, with, as, as is the, the case with these uh, convective showers and thunderstorms, but look, some of those thunderstorms could be, could be quite wet and uh, we could see falls of 10 to 20 millimetres with those isolated thunderstorms. But in general, um, hit and miss stuff, I'd say less than five millimetres unless you, unless you cop one of those bigger thunderstorms
1: been an interesting uh, several few months for, for weather forecast as i would have yeah. thought mark
12: it has been yeah we've sort of now that we've shaken la nina we're starting to see some warm temperatures but uh, warm temperatures and and a bit of more moisture uh leads to showers and thunderstorms so afternoon thunderstorm activity so yeah it, it, interesting and um a bit hard to pinpoint exactly where they're going to be, so just keep an eye on the radar is probably the best advice,
1: I think. And <laughs> just on that point, hard to pinpoint, and a text has just snuck in saying, Hi Angus, can you please ask how much rain Ballarat is likely to receive over the next <laughs> few days?
12: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a tricky one again. Like, so they, they will, they're expecting to, well, they can expect to see uh, cloud building up this afternoon. they th- the atmosphere is conducive to showers and thunderstorms. Whether you actually get one or not, that's that's uh, too hard to call. But if you do get one, then, yeah, of the order of up to five millimetres. And, a, and, a, and if you're particularly unlucky or, or lucky, depending on which way you're looking at it, uh, you could cop a thunderstorm a little bit more than that.
1: OK, better leave it there. Thanks, Mark.
12: My pleasure. See you.
1: Mark Anilak there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau. Let's have a bit more of a look at the text line. A couple of texts there on our earlier story on that uh, frozen chip shortage. John at Briagalong says the potato industry does not seem to promote different potato types for their best application. Retailers seem to know very little about potato types and potatoes seem to be sold as a commodity, whereas there could be niches to add more value. Thanks for that, John. And some texts on our story about declining milk production and an increased need to be importing Uh, Butterfat products, milk and cheese. Neil says, A shortage of butter is driven by the low production of skim milk powder, shutting down factories and drop in drier use. Lower production of milk means less milk for export products like skim milk powder. That's from Neil, who says he worked in the dairy processing industry for more than 15 years. And another text, no name on this one, says... Farmers were thrown under a bus with regard to milk pricing and the ability to make a profit for years, leading to what we are seeing now. Reap what you sow comes to mind. 0467 842 722 is the text line.
13: On ABC Radio Victoria, this is the Victorian Country Hour.
1: Well, it is months on since flooding last year ravaged farms in various parts of the state, but farmers are still struggling with that cleanup, and Blaze Aid volunteers are also struggling to keep up. Bendigo reporter Sarah Lawrence spoke to Blaze Aid coordinator Kerry Bennett about the need for more people to help.
14: Well, we have 32 farmers so far registered in our area that need help putting the the flood affected farms, cleaning them off, and standing them up, or or replacing the farm the the fences so that they can put animals into their paddock or even to contain their crops but more so their animals so that the animals aren't getting out onto roads and getting hit by cars or causing problems the benefit the farmer gets is, uh, is a lot of psychological help because sometimes they just stand there and look at it and think oh gosh where am I going to start and Blaze Aid comes in and we just start and get going and, and it gives the farmers then a light at the end of the tunnel they, they, um, they're not so knocked down, it gives them a boost. So, blaze eight not only puts the, the fences back up, but it's also a lot of psychological help to a farmer. But in my instance, I know I get far more out of it than what I put into it. Just the, the, the knowledge that that you're you're making a big difference in their lives, and the gratitude that you you get from these people, and the friendships you form. And
6: these farmers that you're helping, how ravaged have they been from the floods?
14: Some of them have got kilometres of fences that need to be done. Some of them are smaller jobs, but it's it's yeah, quite extensive in this area.
6: And at the moment around, how many volunteers do you have and how many more are you looking for and what kind of edge might a volunteer have? Well... <laughs> At the moment,
14: um, I've put a number of pleas out onto social media and the only people who have offered to come and help are, are females. Well, we do need males too to come in and I could probably do with at least another eight volunteers. The the males are better, admittedly, with the heavier part of the, of the job. Most of the women I've got here are quite short and, and sometimes you need taller people for The reach when you're putting in strainer posts and and stays, you really do get so much more out of this. You get free parking here, you get three meals a day. At the moment, the Lockington camp is going out quite early in the morning at at 6.30 and coming home round about lunch when the the worst of the heat hits. Just down the road then when they get back, the whole afternoon is theirs. They'll get dinner or lunch, I beg your pardon. And then the whole afternoon is theirs or just down the road is a swimming pool which is free to us and there's a beautiful little ice cream parlour where
6: all the ice creams are handmade. Do you get accommodation if you if you're volunteering? Most people come in in motorhomes. Um, I do have a couple of what we call
14: pods which are a little like a little hut that we can put up. I've got three of those available for, for people. They just need their own bedding
1: That was BlazeAid coordinator Kerry Bennett. And if you do want to volunteer, you can just head to the website, that's blazeaid.com.au, for more information.
7: You're listening to the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: Australian farmers splashed more than $2 billion on 19,000 new tractors in 2022. And the spending spree is expected to continue this year. According to Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia's Gary Northover, the sales surge was the highest level seen in the industry since the 1980s. And for the year ahead, Mr Northover says farmers keen to restock the machinery shed could be waiting up to 12 months to get their hands on new gear. He's speaking here to Cara Jeffrey about the outlook.
15: We've just uh, seen the numbers for the full year come through in the last couple of days and it's been another fantastic year, another record for the industry. We're tracking around the 19,000 unit sales in tractors, which is the second year in a row we've been at that level and we haven't seen those sorts of numbers since the 1980s. So uh, quite another phenomenal year, really.
13: And is there any particular size tractor that has been selling well that's in demand?
15: Look, it's across the board, to be frank. All states and all sizes have been up. Certainly those smaller, under 40 horsepower tractors have enjoyed a bit of a bump in the last half of the year. But, you know, the big ones, 200 horsepower and above, have been strong all year. They're 3% up. Queensland's been probably the standout state across the nation there, 14% up on the previous year. Even WA have been strong again, another four and a half percent up for the year. So it's been it's been widespread.
13: Based off how things went for twenty twenty two being such a strong year, what would the mm. outlook be for this year, even though we're just only a few weeks into mm. it, how do you think mm. things are looking?
15: We've been sort of speculating. The industry can't sort of keep going at this sort of rate. When we think twelve, thirteen thousand tractors has been a good year for the last yeah, number of years, all of a sudden to be two years of nineteen thousand suggests to you that things might sort of come to a bit of a stop but we don't think we'll see that in 2023 we think that demand is still strong. Um, We do think that demand for agricultural commodities looks like being another strong one this year and the government's temporary full expensing program has another six months to run but all of that's being underpinned by used equipment prices so farmers can trade in or sell their used machine for let's say very close to what they paid for it and get the newer model with all the features that come with that uh and and, and yeah, you know, be in good financial shape so we think that's going to continue for a while and that's probably one of the things that's driving these sorts of uh, con- continuously high levels
13: and what's the weight like for new gear are you hearing from dealers that once it's ordered say if you wanted to get a mm. header for the next harvest would you mm. get it in time or is the weight still quite a way out
15: It's it's still a problem. uh, There's no doubt about that. Headers can be a bit different because many of the dealers are forward ordering in anticipation, so they're they're taking a bit of a punt there. But if you're talking about if you wanted to order a large tractor today from some suppliers, you wouldn't see it until 2024. And indeed, with all the volatility that we're seeing in terms of supply chain and pricing, what have you, most of those people probably won't even guarantee you a price for that at this stage so yeah that 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 situation hasn't uh, eased at all
13: and do you think the wet summer a lot of um parts of victoria south australia and new south wales have flooded more recently do you think that mm-hmm. will slow down buying at all
15: those areas that have been affected have been badly affected and that'll that'll certainly be severe but across the nation we feel that much of the areas of um, farming are still being able to continue so Hard to tell, but we don't think it'll be as drastic as it seems.
13: Are people still making use of the temporary full expensing program when it comes to upgrading their gear?
15: Yes, they are, but I'd have to say our sort of anecdotal advice is that it's not the sole reason for them making the purchase. It might have been early on where people were taking that opportunity, but there are other factors that are contributing as as well as the temporary full expensing. It's not the sole reason for people buying tractors.
13: Higher interest rates have been a a, a big talking point, particularly um, in the housing market. Is that having any flow-on effect at all to the machinery sales?
15: Look, it is. Uh, There's no doubt that people are starting to see that flow through to price increases and, and financing increases, and the tipping point may well be near. Certainly, compared to conditions 12 months ago, the cost of getting into a tractor is much higher.
13: Do you hear many reports of what the weight is too for that gear to come in from Europe and offshore of where where (laughs) uh, tractors and machinery come from? Is there a long delay too in those supply areas?
15: It varies by the month. We, We felt two months ago that, Shipping uh, issues, for instance, had eased a bit. But just in this last month, we're seeing some, some subtle changes there. For instance, containerised freight has become a lot cheaper. And I think that's off the back of you know, the effective slowdown in China. So people are getting containers, getting that cheaper and getting a product moving. Roro, on the other hand, has become much more expensive. In fact, we're seeing reports of prices increasing threefold there. And that's off the back of a, a range of things, uh, the volume of, of, of large product moving around the world, shipping congestion times, port congestion times apparently have really gone up. And with the supply of military equipment into Europe, that's also playing into the demand side of shipping. So, you know, in answer to your question, it, it'll change again next month. It's very hard to, to get a beat on what the, what the sort of status quo is and, and people are just uh, dealing with what's in front of them each, each day at
1: this stage. That was Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia Executive Director Gary Northover speaking with Cara Jeffrey.
0: The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: If you grow backyard fruit and vegetables, it's usually a yearly reminder at the start of the season to watch out for Queensland fruit fly. But this year, the combination of wet weather and a slow build up of hot days is seeing the peak of the season coming through later than usual. Bendigo region fruit fly representative, Nicole Porter, told Sarah Lawrence it's only just starting to ramp up.
16: Fruit fly are just starting to get active. I think they're um, been a bit quiet due to the late heat, I guess. It was cold quite a while, but people are starting to trap them in their traps now, um, and I've found low had out of a few fruit fly in them as well. How worrying is that? I think it's not any more worrying than any other year. It's just a little different so usually we'd have a lot more fruit fly around at this time but they're only just starting to breed up now.
6: And so why should people start to pay more attention right now?
16: Right now we've got a chance to stop multiple generations forming. So if we take action now, you know, we won't get a huge influx of fruit fly. They won't be able to breed up. And did numbers so far seem higher or lower than other years? At the moment it seems like there are less fruit fly around than other years because we have had the colder start. Now that we've had the, the running heat, they'll be breeding up, um, getting in things like stone fruit, especially Agriculture Victoria, Queensland fruit fly statewide coordinator
6: Kathy Mansfield agrees with Miss Porter and says the season is only starting to become worse, and regional Victorians need to be on high alert.
17: It's a perfect time for fruit fly at the moment, um, because of the warm and wet conditions. Um, you know, it, the wet spring is perfect. Um, it's very similar to you know what they experience in in Queensland. Um, and so, yeah, we're asking home gardeners to you know, look out for fruit fly in their, in their vegetable crops. But at this time of year, home gardeners are often growing tomatoes, which is one of the key crops, but there's a whole range of crops that can be affected. Figs are another thing that are present now, nectarines, um, berries, peaches. So that's why we're particularly mentioning it now because it's some of those really common home garden crops Are ripening.
6: How does all this rain and good conditions that we've had for for growing impact on the fruit fly?
17: Um, So, so fruit fly um, likes these conditions, but they don't do very well in extremes of temperatures. So, very high temperatures, very low temperatures are not good for them. So, this kind of mild, wet um, weather is ideal. And what will
6: be the, the flow on effects to farmers if it starts to get? Out of hand in in a regional suburban areas,
17: we we try and keep it managed so that they don't spread out into the orchards. Orchards so um, I mean, orchards have a ways of controlling Queensland fruit fly. They they have a whole range of management techniques to manage fruit fly on their properties. But it's really important that they don't have that extra spread from um, home gardens. That's why we're saying to people, it would be great if you could net your um, crops to make sure that um, fruit fly can't actually attack your crops and then um, breed and then spread um, further afield. And if you do
6: find it in your garden, what can you do?
17: Well, there's a range of things you can do. So you can put out traps to catch them. You can spray um, baits, which are like a protein source and an insecticide. Um, the fruit are lured to them and they eat the bait and then they die. Or you can spray um, in, in just in normal insecticides. But there are other things you can also do, like making sure that if you check your fruit and look for stings, so quite often the stings are quite small, like like a pinprick on the surface of the fruit. Um, so if you see them, you can cut into the fruit. They're usually... Um, will bury down into the fruit. So have a look um, if you see like little tiny prick marks on the the surface of the fruit, look like little stings. Um, And if you do find fruit fly, it's really important to either um, put them in a bag, heat them in the sun, microwave the fruit, don't put it in the compost um, because... Um, the compost actually is also a perfect environment for fruit flies. So if you throw them in there, then they'll just emerge and spread still.
1: That was Agriculture Victoria Queensland Fruit Fly Statewide Coordinator Kathy Mansfield. Ending that report from Sarah Lawrence. Uh,
3: 64, 50,
1: Off to markets now starting today at Wodonga Cattle with Leanne Dax.
11: Good afternoon. Numbers remain similar with agents yarding just over 1,500. Quality improved notably with good numbers of veal and well-finished yearlings. Heavy cattle were in reasonable numbers and competition improved with an extra southern buyer in the mix across all export categories. The market sold to mixed price trends. The Better Veal held firm, selling at 3.70 to 4.64. Trade heifers gained 11, 3.20 to 3.89. Feeder heifers were back 40 cents, 3.55 to 3.80. Trade steers, very few to quote 330 to 440 Feet of steers, 400 to 500 kilo Gained 30 cents 380 to 418 Heavy steers and bullocks were firm 312 to 383 Cows slipped back 15 to 20 cents Heavy cows, 296 to 328 And bulls, 210 to 320 Leanne Ducks,
18: MLA
1: Thanks Leanne To shepherd and Cattle now with Nicole Varley
18: good afternoon angus well there were 585 exports and uh, 420 trade cattle offered amongst the exports 355 were cows there were a few good runs of heavy beef cows and a single uh, pen of bee muscled 500 to 600 kilo euro steers. The balance of the yarding, though, was very mixed quality with a lot of underdone cattle. Several exporters were absent. The trade section was mainly store-conditioned and predominantly went back to feedlotters or restockers. Prices took a further tumble. Processors struggled to find the right arg- article amongst the planer offering this week. The vealers to the trade made from 3.40 to 4.20 cents. With restockers paying to 4.37 for the steer portion, heeling steers and heifers 3.60 to 4.30, with the feeder steers making to 4.20. 500 to 600 kilo steers topped at 4.12, and that was for the b-muscle portion. With the balance of the steers making from 3.50 to 3.90 cents. This is Nicole Varley from Shepparton.
1: Thanks, Nicole. Finally, Ballarat lambs with Shiona Lamb.
5: Good afternoon Angus. Lamb supply dropped slightly to 32,000 drawn for. Quality again was dominated by lighter store types with heavy well finished lambs still in limited supply. But more weight was offered today. All the usual buyers were present with extra store competition. The market started firm on last week, but bidding was erratic at times, bouncing depending on weight and quality. Sean lambs with good finish were in high demand. Light trade sold mostly firm, medium and heavy trade slipped 5 for the secondary types and gained 5 to 10 for the well-finished short skins. Heavy export lambs sold to a top of $298 a head for short skins to be 15 dearer to a week ago, but more weight was offered. Store buyers were again active in the market, paying 39 to 132 for lambs under 18 kilos, mostly firm, to a few dollars cheaper, and over 18 kilos, 137 to 175, to sell 20 dearer. But buyers were going up in weight categories. Lambs to the trade under 18 kilos sold 97 to 158. Lambs to the trade 18 to 22 sold 133 to 185, 22 to 24 sold 170 to 205. Heavy trade lambs 24 to 26 made 200 to $230 a head. And heavy export lambs over 26 kilos sold 213 to 298. Lambs with good finish over 24 kilos Had an average range of 18 to 860 cents a kilo carcass weight, and secondary type flacking finished ranged anywhere from six fifty to seven eighty cents. Hobbits sold today fifteen to thirty dollars a head deer. There are still two agents to sell land and nine thousand five hundred sheep to be sold. This is Shiana Lamb at Ballarat for MLA.
0: Thanks, Shiana. are now open for farmer of the year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land let's recognize the hard work of our rural leaders innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond you can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au proudly supported by the kundinan group and abc rural well,
1: that's just about it for the Country Hour. But before I go, some information about the Country Hour for the next couple of days. Tomorrow, women's cricket is on again. So that means on analogue radio, there will be no Country Hour. Coverage will stick with the women's cricket. But you can turn into tune into the digital stream, which will be Michael Condon presenting a Country Hour. That's accessed through the ABC app or the ABC website. And then on Thursday... We'll be back on Analog, and I'll be broadcasting live from International Dairy Week, which is at Tatura, started on Saturday and wrapping up on Thursday. So if you're there, come down to the main pavilion and say good day to us. Quickly on the text line before I go, we had an earlier story about BlazeAid. This person says, what a wonderful organisation BlazeAid is. It's well run, and after a fire or a flood, I only donate to BlazeAid. Remember the website, abc.net.au forward slash rural.